Well, you know, uh, how many of you have played hide and seek? Raise your hand if you have. Uh, most of you. How many have played hide and seek with kids? Okay. The purpose of hide and seek is to be found, right? And, and one of the things that's interesting about hide and seek is it's, it's a fun little game because you're hiding, but what is not really fun is if you hid and you were never found. And what's even worse is if you can be an adult and you can be a little bit mean and you um, conceal yourself in such a way that that little one never finds you and gives up. Well, what's really interesting when we look about this whole matter of God as he reveals himself through Jesus He is a God who conceals himself in order to reveal himself. There is a sense that God plays a little bit of hide-and-seek with us. And there's a reason for that. There are times that he seems concealed as you're trying to understand and move and say, God, are you in this? And and, and you begin to say, what's this all about? And often what God is doing is drawing out of your heart a desire so deep for him that it wants more than just gifts and presents. It wants more than God just to right the circumstance. It wants more than that. It It is a desire for this God to be related to you in such a way that in the process your whole character begins to be formed so that you yourself become like him. There's some deep truth there. God conceals to reveal. There are times that God hides in order for us to strive to know this God in our experience and in our life. And what's interesting, if you look at the, the, the gospel written by Matthew that we've been looking at, we have a God who reveals himself through Jesus. And the whole purpose was that there was this desire to reveal himself to all mankind. And so he chose a person in Abraham and through Abraham chose Moses to choose a nation and develop that through David and Solomon, all for the purpose that he would himself come someday and reveal himself wholly and fully through Jesus to all people who hunger and thirst and desire to know him, to find him. Well, as we get into this passage of Scripture, it's important to kind of just do the the kind of lead up. In Matthew chapter 1 through 10, what what is happening is Matthew is showing us this hide-and-seek God through Jesus. And in this process, you see God revealing himself to Jesus, to the people that he had come to. And there were some who didn't want to see him and didn't want to find him and didn't want him to be found. Because this God messed up their life and the way they had built it and all. And and the the surprising thing is it wasn't the church religious people who were looking for him. Because they had all their I's dotted and their T's crossed and they had everything they thought they needed so that this Jesus was just the Jesus they wanted. But there were other people hungry and thirsty and, and, and dying through illness and everything else, that we're saying, God, just reveal yourself to me. 
So Matthew 1 through 10 is this beautiful picture of, of God coming through Jesus and through all these different narratives of his birth. Then it comes through these stories where you see this collection of teachings of the, the greatest sermon on the mount where, where through Jesus the heart of God is so revealed, not a heart of love and law, I mean of a law in, in, in legalism, but a heart of love that gets underneath the law and says, if your heart is like this, and goes through it until you come to chapters 7 through 9 where you see the demonstration of God's power. You see the miracles of God. As they're displayed through Jesus and He reveals the character and the incredible power of this God. And you come to chapter 10 and now Jesus begins to send out emissaries, ambassadors, who will be getting prepared to go to all the nations. First sends out 12, then 72, which represents, according to Genesis, the table of nations, which meant through the whole nation, this message would be revealed. This one that has been concealed, where people have not been able to know the heart of God. They've only seen God in His demonstration of His power through nature. And you can't determine, is this a power that's for or against me? But He sure is powerful, right? And so Jesus wants to reveal this God who loves you and who is so deeply committed to you, who wants you to understand your heart and to move into places where your heart becomes formed to be like him in all ways. And you come to chapter 11 and chapter 11 is this interesting time of decision is what Matthew kind of makes that you see people who have been seeking and, and it looks like they're seeking and you come across one and you see the passage of John the Baptist who is in honest doubt. And there may be some of you today as you're processing through things or maybe you, you've, you just are, are beginning to try and say, what is this God that's revealed in the Bible and this Jesus all about? And you're going through this just honest time of doubt. Or you may be in your life in a relationship where you are in relationship um, with God through Christ and you're going through this process and you're going through honest doubt because of what's going on. Well, then he goes on and he gives you another picture, this picture of, of people who, who come to, to seek and are playing the game hide and seek. And when Jesus reveals himself, they don't like what's revealed. They're criticized. They, they stand back and no matter how God would come to them, whether he comes to them in a song that is happy or a song that is sad, they stand back and say, I will not enter in. And these are good religious church people, the Pharisees. And then there are others who see the demonstration of the power and the life of God. And, and, and these are just the people of the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. And they see this and they go there and they go, wow, this is fantastic. This is unbelievable. This God. And they're just impressed with all the miracles. They say the scripture is God. And they're just not really moved. They're really indifferent, but they like it. They're impressed. And then there's people who come crawling and begging and saying, I would do anything if this God of love and mercy would enter into my life. I've so blown it. I am so broken. I am so wounded. I am so hurt. I am so aware of my own sin, my own need. That if, oh, if only, if this God only would look at me. I don't even deserve to walk into the, to the church of the Pharisees. I don't deserve to be. And Jesus goes, I come to you. So now we come to chapter 12. And you have the story of the Sabbath. And the whole story of the Sabbath is really a, a, a kind of a hinge point to say what's really going on with those who are rejecting Jesus. Because now we've come into the final rejection of Jesus. That's what chapter 12 is about. And it all hinges on this. There were people, good religious, spiritual people, who 
thought they understood God and, and they had God in the box they wanted him in. And they had actually used his word as a foundation to control people. Their faith was all about what they could do to use their power so that they could stay in power themselves. And through it, they would, through that, unwittingly in some cases, but often knowingly, oppress and keep people in their sins. And Jesus says to him, you know what, just take a look at the Sabbath. And you go, this passage of Scripture just opened my eyes a couple of weeks ago. And he says, you are building your life on a book and in a way that I never intended for you to do it. You are making my word say things I never said. And you are using these laws in order that through following them, you become proud and self-righteous. And you, you live in such a way that your life looks better so that you compare yourself to others. So you're kind of one up on them. And those people stay in those kind of positions because they've tried. They can't do it or whatever it is. They feel they're in this failed spot. And you feel pretty good about yourself. And you think God's patting you on the back. And you guys have blown it. So now you come to this passage of Scripture. And it ends in verse 14 when he has just taken the feet from underneath these spiritually, religiously, self-righteous people, he's, he, these, these leaders, spiritual leaders, he's just cut out the bottom from underneath them. And it says in verse 14, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill him. This is the final rejection. We come to chapter 12. Now Matthew turns a corner. There is a full, final, complete rejection. And the rejection begins to show itself as you go through these verses that not only do they reject Jesus, it's one thing to say, we don't believe him and go back to Jerusalem. But they not just reject him, they actually say he's a blasphemer. He's not just not from heaven. He's not just the expression of God the Father. This is really from the pit of hell and the expression of Satan himself. And all these things you see are his demonstration of that person. You see how that changes? So here you have this picture, beginning of verse 15. And what I want to share with you is how to find Jesus. I think there is a concealed revealment uh, um, that Jesus conceals in a sense, the Father, and reveals the Father to those who really want Him. To those who really want Him. And so in verse 15, you find Jesus, I think, sometimes in the tough places. Sometimes it comes through these difficult expressions of life and circumstances, and, and in those places God shows up and He begins to draw out of you things that you don't think you could actually do. It, it may mean at times setting up boundaries, setting up um, whatever is needed in order that you will allow this God who loves you to experience His love rather than to remain into a place where you maybe are being abused or hurt or disrespected. Verse 15, Aware of this. That's a big expression. Aware of this. Jesus withdrew from that place. Jesus would often, he was an itinerant minister. You have to see that he would go to different places and he would often speak the same messages. That's one of the reasons the disciples are so able to write down his messages. They probably heard them many times. And he would go into a place and he would come to this place where God had been concealed because of all the religious stuff that got in the way. And he would reveal the heart of the Father, the love of the Father, the Father who would come and display himself through miracles and signs and wonders where people would be just so hungry for him. Those who were hungry, they just gathered around him and then others stood on the outside. And eventually, when Jesus would so reveal the heart of the Father, which was against the heart of those who were standing on the outside, he would realize that the tide was shifting and he would withdraw out of that vicinity because he knew that his time wasn't yet come 
even though they began to plot to kill. And so this is kind of a, 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 a pattern of Jesus. He would come in and reveal and then step away. And you need to remember that there aren't verses and chapters that Matthew, he didn't write and go, here's chapter 12, verse 15, that added later. This is, if you read it, it's just a story that flows. And so the previous story ends with that thought. Here are the Pharisees, their hearts are exposed, their pride is unveiled. The very substance of their life and their hope has been removed and they are threatened. Everything specifically, their power is threatened. So verse 14 says the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. You need to understand that in that day, this idea of plotting how to kill Jesus was important because Rome, which were now the rulers over that area, had taken away the power to execute someone. In the years past, it had become such a problem that they would, the Jews would get angry and they would execute someone. So they took that power away. So now they have to plot to kill him. And, and Mark is interesting. Because Mark adds, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, that may mean nothing if you don't know what a Herodian is. But basically, the Pharisees were those pure ones. Hundreds of years ago, two, three hundred years prior to Jesus coming, they were called. Pharisee means pure ones. They were the ones who, who came and brought a pure expression of faith. They were calling people back to the heart of God. And as it happens so often in movements, God moves, and as he moves, it becomes an institution. Eventually, this institution becomes an institution about laws and rules and what you do, and you lose the heart. And they've lost the heart. But yet, they're the spiritually looked upon people in that culture. The Herodians are on the other side of the camp. They are the people, and the word Herodian is for what it means. They wanted King Herod in power. They weren't really crazy about Rome's power, but they were pretty crazy. They were the Herodians. They liked Herod. And Herod wasn't truly a Jew. Herod was really a despicable person. At the whim of any thought, he would take a person's wife, he would kill another husband and person, a son, he would wipe out people in his family. It didn't matter. So the Herodians, for some reason, they wanted Herod. And then you had this other party who in many ways were all about holding to the laws and, and, and through their own self-righteousness comparing themselves and making sure that everyone else was in a one-down position. And these two got together. It'd be as if the Republicans and the Democrats got together on something. I mean, it's opposite sides of the camp. That's how much the heart hates the presence of God when it doesn't want its sin exposed, when it doesn't want to remove what God is seeking in order for the sake of the structure of the heart and soul to make it the kind of person he wants you to be. So, back to Matthew, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. And so I asked myself as I was looking at this, this whole idea of withdrawal is very important, and I want to just stop here for a second, because of finding God in the tough places, especially in these places when someone's out to kill you, you might go, you know, metaphorically. There are situations I have actually counseled throughout my life, um, often women who are in very abusive situations where they are physically under abuse and, and, and it's almost by law now you have to tell them to leave, but they can't leave unless they choose to leave. And you just, you do everything, you say, can you imagine if your daughter's in this place, would you allow your daughter to stay in that place? And then finally they're able to put themselves out of it and they can hear it. It's not an easy thing. 
It's not an easy thing to leave a place that's familiar where you have felt disrespect or where you have moved to a place where the disrespect has turned to a constant anger and that constant anger eventually could turn into a physical abuse. I don't know the lines and how they're drawn, but it's not an easy thing. But Jesus, as it says here, you look at him and a little bit later it says in this passage of Scripture he's a suffering servant. In fact, let's read it. I I just buzzed by that. Let's read, if you can go back, to Matthew 12, verses 15 through 21. Verse 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and healed all their sick and warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. And catch that justice because what I'll be talking about in a few moments of this idea of awareness and this idea of withdrawal, it's important to realize that if you don't understand this concept of of God's love for you, it's hard for you to, to love yourself enough to put up the kind of boundaries that are necessary for you to experience God's presence. And so he says, he he proclaims justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. And in his name the nations will put their hope. So as you read this passage of Scripture and you see these people are out to get them and, and you know something's wrong when these two parties are coming together to get rid of them. So what do you do? Well, first, Jesus just was aware of the need for boundaries, aware of this, understanding this, knowing what it means to live in the justice, the idea that justice being that which sets people free from oppression, from that which is evil and wicked and wrong. You see that Jesus stands up to this family system, and it's tough when you've been bullied or abused or disrespected and people have used power to control. It becomes the air you breathe. And awareness, though, is the first step. I was struck a few years back when I was studying for Samuel on my own in my quiet time. I wasn't pastoring a church at this time, but I just, I just was going through this book in a very, very deep way. And I, I was struck with the example of David and King Saul. For a long time, David lived in the presence of Saul. And Saul was one who over time began to use his power in a very abusive way. It was all about Saul, very much in his own flesh, out of what is natural he did. Now you think about it. Here is David who is beginning to win some notoriety and people are beginning to give him praise and his power is growing. So David's power is growing. Saul sees his being diminished. So Saul comes up with a great idea. You know what I'll do? I'll send David out and ask him to kill how many Philistines are that. So he sends him out, not in the purpose for that he would really defeat the Philistines, but in the hope that David would be slain himself. Little abusive. And then, and then there's a time where you see, and you read a little bit later, here, David, who comes in, because Saul would come into these very times where it said a spirit would come over him, where he would be depressed, and he would be oppressed, and, and David, he would ask David to come in, and David would play his harp or his guitar, and David would soothe him as he'd be playing. But as that would be happening, at times, the jealousy and the anger would be growing in Saul to such a degree that it says in Scripture that Saul actually took the spear that was next to him and threw it at David, trying to kill him. Now, David's not a dumb guy, right? Where is the awareness that goes, you know, probably shouldn't be spending a lot of time with Saul. 
But you read again that David is again, once again, playing the guitar and he's playing it and, and he's soothing Saul's spirit. And Saul again, it says a second time, takes his spirit and tries to jam it and misses him, just misses him. I wonder if it misses his cloak. And you're going, David, wake up. It takes someone from outside. And in fact, it takes David's best friend, who was Jonathan, the son of Saul. It took another person to come to him and say, David, it's time not to spend any more of your energy in this place. Or you won't have any energy to spend. And he tells him to go. As I was processing this and I was going through that, I just want to run through with you because you kind of go, why is it so difficult to see this? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. One of it is because you often, uh, people who can't be aware of it, grow up in a family system where that kind of power is all about controlling. It's all about using your power to control, to manipulate, and to eventually intimidate and abuse. It seems that environment that David grew up in was similar to that. When David brought food to his brothers, his father said to little David, come down off the mountain, I'll have someone else watch the sheep for you. I want you to bring food to your brothers. They're they're kind of all gathered together against the Philistine army. There's this huge guy named Goliath there. They've been there for weeks. They're not doing anything. They're running out of food, so would you bring some food to them? So David does exactly what his father tells him to do and brings food up to the front line. He comes up to where his brother is at. Now listen to this. When David brought food to his brothers and saw Goliath berating God in Israel, David said, why are you guys letting him do it? And it says, in a sense, who is this, in my words, big oaf? And then you read in verse 17, chapter 17, verse 28 of 1 Samuel, David's oldest brother Eliah burned with anger and asked, why are you here, David? And who did you leave the sheep with? Isn't that interesting? You have this statement of suspicion and accusation right away into the motives of the heart of this one whose heart was really right, who was responding to his father in obedience and bringing food to the front. And he has an older brother. This is the older brother burning with anger in his heart, looking at him with suspicion, accusing him. And I want to share with you folks, when you come across an accusation out of a suspicious heart, that's not of God. Okay? God does not stand over and, and, and point with an accusing heart hand to the, the heart that is soft and is seeking after God. That is not. God comes out of love. He will speak the truth very firmly. But it says the accuser of the brethren is in Scripture is who? The one who comes from Satan. And so here he is. It's his accusation. He says, I, and catch this next word. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You see the environment that he has kind of grown up in? You're only here, David, to watch the battle. You're up to no good. And so I think David has trouble spotting it partially because of what he comes out of. There's not the awareness there. That light hasn't been lit. There's another reason I think that this happens so often is we, we believe we're following God's call. That's what was happening with David. Wasn't he to be the next king? Didn't Samuel come to him and say at a certain point, hey, look, you're going to be the next king. You're going to be the king who follows Saul. So here is David. He goes out. He, by the strength of God, conquers this this giant Goliath. People begin to rally around him, and he just falls into place as one of the generals in the army. 
He's feeling the call of God. He's going, God, someday you said I'll be king, so I'm going to serve my king with all my heart. And out of God's call, he's serving and he's doing what's right and he's doing what's good. But what happens sometimes, here he is in the midst of this abuse, in the midst of the place that the person he's actually serving is trying to kill him. And I think in his heart, in a very good way, he's saying, God, you told me this, this is the path, isn't it? And, and this is the route. And what you don't realize sometimes is that when God calls you, God will make it happen, but it may be a different route than you think. I mean, think about it. Here is David. Jonathan just pleads with him. He's got to go. And he's, he gives him one more chance. And all of a sudden he finds out it's going to happen again. So he shoots this arrow and this arrow marks the spot that he's supposed to leave. David leaves the camp. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how difficult it was for David to leave what he thought was God's call. And I think sometimes we stay in situations that it, it, because we think this is the only route that God is going to work. And another one is, is this whole idea of spiritual authority. And that's a tough one. When, when spiritual leaders who you respect and you, and, and you, you, you um, want to follow because they've actually done good things. I mean, Saul was really, a, in many ways, a good king. You know when Saul was, in, was first came to power? It says that the nation of Israel were so oppressed and enslaved by the Philistine countries around them that they didn't even have blacksmiths to be able to make the weapons that could stand up in war against them. They would use wooden pitchforks. It'd be like going out against the army who has machine guns and you're walking around with knives. But Saul, as God began to empower him and the move, brought this country around him. And as he brought this country around him and, and he began to build it up, they actually came to a point where not only now did they have blacksmiths who could make weapons, but they actually had borders which they could control. And all these things were happening. And here comes David in the midst of this spiritual leader who is standing tall and strong and doing, has done well. And yet, I think it makes it tough to see that. And I could go on. What I think is really important is this. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus would stand before these religious leaders, these people who had spiritual power. And Jesus grew up in the system of this world. But Jesus, as it says here, he was the servant where the father said, this is the one I love. He felt so deeply loved. He was so grounded in the love of this father of his that he was able to walk into situations. He was able to look the eyes of those who were spiritual leaders and he was able to say what was true. And the thing you see in here, too, is that Jesus was wise in justice when it comes to oppression. Jesus knew that his time wasn't yet to come, so he would withdraw. So the second thing is not just an awareness, but this idea of setting up proper boundaries. I don't know what it means, but I can tell you this. If you are in a place, if you're working with someone in a place where that person's life is physically a threat, one of the boundaries is separation with an actual physical separation boundary. Now, there's all kinds of other boundaries, and those are the kind of things where you need the counsel of godly people to come around you to help you understand what it means, what God's calling you to do. Because sometimes what God is doing is He's putting up some boundaries, or you may need to say no to some things, and you may need to hold it out of the strength of the love that God has in your heart. But at the same time, with that courage, God is also doing something in you, because He doesn't want you to be a victim any longer. Jesus was never a victim. Jesus offered Himself fully in sacrifice, but He withdrew because He knew it was right, because He had something that God yet wanted to do. And you may be saying, where are you, God, in a tough place? And God is saying, I'm right here. I'm right here in the council of someone who loves you. You may be that Jonathan to someone. 
You may be that person that sees and discerns. And you find that as you begin to, to understand and you begin to accept this love of God, and you act out of the courage of your own heart and you move away from being this victim to this place where you allow God through his authority to take your authority together with him to offer, in a sense, a new direction, new path, new place, whatever it is. That is the very thing that God will use and show up to make a difference in those around you. You. You have the power through the Lord Jesus Christ, through His love and strength, to change the very environment in which you live. And yet there are sometimes, Scripture tells us, that we need to withdraw. There's a second thing here. Finding Jesus is all about knowing what to look for. Or second is, finding Jesus is, is, is about wanting Jesus. As you go on in this verse, it's about wanting His presence more than anything else. It's about wanting to say, Jesus, I want you to enter into my life experience. I, I, someone asked me the other week, you know, one of the young men in our church, I was having a cup of coffee with him and just wanted to spend time to get to know him better. And he said to me, he had a list of questions. He said, what's one of the most significant things that you can look back in your life and say, that was really important? And I, I said, you know, I think probably one of the most significant things for me in my life was when I said, God... I don't want anything but you, and I want to seek after your truth. I want to move out of the lies. I want to, I want to move into such a place that I live with integrity and that I hunger after that more than anything else. But you have here, when you see this seeking and this hide-and-seek with God and the concealing revelation of God, you see people who are desperate for God. They want God more than anything else. But what's interesting here, it says, those who don't, they just left. When Jesus withdrew, they were happy. The presence of God starts showing up in a place, which means you're going to have to really change your comfortableness or whatever you've you know, made your Jesus to be. You're really happy when that presence is gone, right? But not those who hunger after him. Here's what's so cool about God. You can find God anywhere. Jesus said the kingdom of God is right here, right next to you. You can find him at work. You can find him when you travel. He is there when you wake up. He is there when you go to bed. He is there at your mealtime, whether you acknowledge him or not. Many fouled him. And what's so interesting is that those who really want God will find him. He will not hide himself from you. And you may be in a point where you're going, well, where are you, God? Well, show up, God. I can tell you out of my own experience, and I know many of you could say as well, there's been those times where you were saying, God, God. And you kept wondering, is it the next hill? Is it the next corner? Is it the next thing? Is God? And, and, and you just keep pursuing because in your heart there's this, this spirit of God that says, it's just follow because He will not abandon you. He will not leave you. He is here. He will show up anywhere. He will show up in the desperation of your own marriage situation. He will show up in the desperation where your kids may be having difficulty. He will show up in your work environment. This God is for you if you seek Him. And what I think is interesting is it goes on and says Jesus healed all of them. So everybody who came to him, anyone who said, God, I want you, and, and then they re saw the revelation of God, received gifts from God. But here's the interesting thing. Some people, when they play hide and seek, really are just thrilled that they found him, and then they go off and play on their own. They don't stay in the game. They don't stay in that process of saying, God, I found you now. Let's keep playing. I want you my whole life. 
And so some people will find God and they'll have a healing in their life or God will move in such a way that He'll provide the finances they needed or they will move in such a way that they will see that God directs their path for a little bit and then they walk away because they're more concerned about getting a present than seeking the presence and living in that presence. And I believe we as a body, I'm really convinced that we as a body are after the presence of God. That's what we're here for. And that will mean that we have to be open to when God will conceal, but we will continue to search and seek because we know God will show Himself. He will not ever leave us hopeless. And so you see this picture that here is finding God in these tough places. Jesus models what it means to live in this justice. Then you see this this, um, picture of people seeking after God. God actually, through Jesus, goes out into the wilderness and people seek after Him. And He's so gracious that He still even gives gifts to people who don't want to seek after Him further. Last week... Reuben David said it. I think he, he, said, he said that um, God goes where He's wanted. I just ask you to check that pulse in your own heart for a second. How bad does it beat to want after God? And then finding Jesus is about knowing what to look for. It's often different than what you may want. That's one of the hard processes in my own life. I so wanted... I'm not any different than you. You know, isn't it true? You just want God to give you what you think you want. And God always gives you, me, us, what we need. He knows what our soul needs. And I find that so often there's those processes. I get angry with God. I'm discouraged. I can lash out at others. We all, we all do this. It's not, it's not, It's not godly stuff, but our flesh comes out and we're driven back to that place, hopefully, where we go, you know what, God, I want this, but this is what I really want. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's your presence. And in your presence is all I need. Is all I need. If you look at verse 17 through verse uh, the end of this chapter, or this um, portion of Scripture, verse 21, This is the longest Old Testament quote found in Matthew's Gospel. He quotes the Old Testament quite often, but this is the one place where he has this long quote, and I think it's for a purpose. He's been revealing and concealing. He's had this, and now he says here, let me reveal just Jesus. This is the Jesus that you, through all your misconceptions, have not found. In fact, you think by what you are living in, where you're at, that you found it. But you have been looking for a political Messiah. You've been looking for this one. Basically, we all look for the God who will come in and control what we want and where we want to go. So we can look at the Pharisees. They were looking for a political Messiah who was all about laws that could regulate life. And through those laws, they could control things. So what happens is when you're in control, you feel secure. And God's not against us feeling secure. He's not against us feeling times of control. But ultimately, it's not about our control. And the worst is when we try and control God. And that's exactly who were standing against Jesus and all those who were hungry after Him because they knew desperate in their lives they had no control. They wanted to come to the One who did. And when they came to the One who did, He didn't use His force. He didn't use His hand to force 
control in the way they wanted it. He used his heart out of love to empower people to live. Huge difference. And so when you read through this, it's a, it's, there's a reason why in Isaiah it's called the suffering servant. So when you, if, you're, if you're willing to, you'll see as you go through this that um, he, he talks about verse 17. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Matthew follows this don't tell explanation from the prophet Isaiah using this quote to anticipate what's to come. And so in verses 18 through 21, here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. That's the, that's the secret of what it means to walk with God and to walk victoriously in life. It is being filled full, so much so that you know that you're loved by God and that love is birthed in your new heart before him because he has made you clean and you live out that love. So Jesus has this foundation and it's said a couple different times so people hear it. I don't know if it was really said for Jesus, but maybe it was. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Here's my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. And here are a group of people plotting to kill him. They are out there condemning. And the Father from heaven is looking at this one whose heart is full of love. And he's commending. He commends him and he says, this is the one I love. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim. He'll speak forth justice, freedom from this oppression of sin and from evil. And so he serves out of this posture of deep love. And he proclaims justice to the nations. And that really troubled the hearts of those who liked the idea of love that controls. Because Jesus was coming to bring justice by conquering the nations out of love and not out of a force of power. That's a huge difference. They were expecting Jesus to show up and go, Hey, Israel's going to be great. All you guys are doing well, and we're just going to control everything. Jesus comes up, and he, out of his heart, begins to love people. And that love changes hearts. And that love, then, is the force that changes the world. And the justice Jesus brought was to release those who were oppressed by this other force. It was not about a heart control by external laws. I have to tell you, if, you're, if your life is about what this, what a couple of messages ago, if your life is built on this, which is all about external laws that make you sure that you do what's right and wrong, that's how criminals are treated. Does that make sense? Speed limit signs are for people who have the inclination to go over the speed limit, like me. Until your heart's changed, you go, you know, there's a reason for the society and the culture around us that these are put here. The person who comes into contact with the loving God in their heart and they recognize their need of Him and they recognize that in their heart there is evil, there is sin that has to be dealt with, that, that needs to be removed. That person who comes to Him and then asks, give me a new heart. And out of this new heart, may my heart want to respond to you. May I, my heart, in fact, it's not even may my heart want to, give me this new heart because if you have this new heart, it will respond out of love. That's what the Gospel says. And so here is this Jesus, the suffering servant, who suffers. The reason he suffers is because he's not about trying to control people. He's about loving people into a relationship with the Father and demonstrating all that. 
And so in verse 19, you see a totally different kind of Jesus than the Jesus they thought would come. That's what it says. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Well, what that basically means is the word quarrel means it's the one who gets in the fight, wants to be right. It's all about being right. It's going to win the argument. I'm going to win this argument. It's not about listening to the Spirit of God. So when you, when you think about it, here is the presence of God showing up in Jesus. He's doing all these miracles. And you've got a group of people out there suspicious, accusing, and they want to win an argument. It's not the right way. And then he says they cry out. The word cry out, it really comes from a dog's barking. You know how they cry out and bark? I have a golden retriever who if you were to drive on the property, you're driving on our property gets our dog a little nervous and the dog will start barking. Now, what you don't know is the bark, dog is barking partially out of anxiety, but partially out of the fact that it just wants to love you to death. But I think the anxiety part happens because the dog's barking to get the other dog, we have another dog, to come and rally around. The idea of this word is, not, is, is like a pack of dogs, not because they're like my retriever, but you know how a pack of dogs on their own can be vicious? And when they spot something, they, they cry out, they bark to rally the other dogs together so they can go after that which is troubling them, that which they want to devour. And he says, I'm not like the Pharisees who are barking like a bunch of dogs, seeking to come over and use everything they can to quarrel and to win an argument in order that they can hold their power position. I am one who comes, not screaming in the streets. But you see this Jesus who withdraws, who's quiet, who's confident, who walks with a confident sense that this God loves him, who has this joy in his heart when he shouldn't have joy, who has the Spirit of God flowing through him, changing people's lives. And when he sees people, if you go on, and they're like a bruised reed, he will not break it. And a smoldering wick, he will not see that little smoldering wick and go, you're good for nothing, and blow it out. You think of a bruised reed, the best way I can think of it is like a piece of straw. You ever have a piece of straw and you grab it because you want to put it in your mouth to walk with it? And Anybody ever done that? I'm, everybody probably to some degree. Except if you lived in the city. But you grab this piece of straw, and, and you know what? What's a bummer is if you grab it and all of a sudden it breaks, or it, it bends, right? There's a soft spot on it. You can't really get it to be straight again. So instead of walking around, most people don't walk around with a straw that's bent like that, or, you know, piece of, right? What you do is you take it and you crumble it up and you throw it away. It's no good. It's tough to repair. It's been bruised to a point that it's broken. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm not even like that. I don't come upon people that are smoldering just with a little bit of energy and and desire for God in their hearts. I don't come to people who are broken and bruised and hurt and just look at them and go, your choices, you you screwed up. Too bad. I come to you, any one of you, any one of your friends who is broken or hurt or bruised. And through you, I want to express the love of God. I don't want to control them. I want to express the love of God so their heart experiences that love. And as a result of experiencing that love, their heart wants this God that you have. So just Jesus is about this one who leads justice to victory. And the word leads here is a little, it's a wimpy word. It really means breaks through, breaks forth. He is one who breaks forth justice to victory. And in his name, the nations will put their hope. It is this one who comes and he will break forth and through any 
hopeless situation in your life where you feel the oppression of sin or darkness or evil. He is here and he will be found because he loves you and he cares so deeply for you. And just Jesus is not about living in fear but about living in the peace and joy that God loves you and his love will live through you. It's not about loving and seeking even to control outcomes towards what you think it should be. The Jesus we often want is the Jesus who will control what we want. He's not that one who controls what we want by what we say. There's a number of signs. I'm just going to share it with you quickly. You can watch for people who come in shame and guilt motivation. They come out of suspicion and their hearts filled with fear. They come out with black and white rules. They come out with an elitist kind of superior sense of being. And they come to control and manipulate. The suffering servant came out of a deep love of God, understanding his word in community with other people who experienced his love and were walking in the truth of God in order to love you and others into that relationship with God by sharing the truth. But anytime it's shared, they know that your heart is of love. Now, I, I read this, and I'll close with this, about um, the fact that I think so often what we love we try to control. And the suffering servant is different. The reason you suffer for many different reasons out throughout Scripture, but the only reason you suffer is because you give yourself fully to the point of sacrifice in love, but you're not the one who controls that heart. That's what Jesus did. He suffered for these people, for us. I uh, got this from a guy named Danny Silk in a book called Culture of Honor. He says, imagine this. Your fifth grader comes home and says, here's my report card. And so he gives it to you, and he kind of walks, steps away just a little bit sheepishly. You take his report card, open it up, and you're excited to see his grades, right? And there in front of you, you look through it, and there's an F. And your heart sinks. Your fifth grader got an F. And fear rises up in you, and sometimes anger, right? It's a real typical response of a parent. And you're thinking, a fifth grader with an F, he's doomed. There's no way he's going to make it. I mean, you don't get F's till at least in high school, right? So fear grips your heart, and all you can think about is, how do I control this child's educational outcome? Where do I now, uh, what do I do now before it's too late? It's probably the thought of most parents, and I'm not saying it's a bad thought. And so you begin to consider, here's what you do. You begin to consider how you're going to control your child toward your goal because you love them, right? Did you catch that? How can I control this child toward my goal, which you think is a good goal, and it is a good goal, because you love them. And part of the lesson you send in that message of love is that which we love we try to control. Now think about another option. I, I, I think this is interesting. I realize this is simplistic, so don't go you know, back and say, well, this, this, and this. But just get the basic point. Imagine the parent going to the child and saying, oh, no, fifth grade. I didn't think this might be till high school. We have an early bloomer. You're ahead of the curve. And I just want you to know that you, your mother and I, we've talked. We really love you. We are so committed to you. And in fact, we figured something out together. And we want you to know this. 
We're going to love you no matter how many years it takes you to get through for fifth grade. This kid's looking at you like, no, seriously, son, we're going to love you every day until you pass fifth grade. And son, we figured this out too. If you just wait two more years, your little sister will be in the class with you. And you and her buddies now can go to birthday parties together. Isn't that great? And this little fifth grader is looking you in the eye and saying, Years? Yeah, yeah, years. We'll, we're committed to you. We'll stay through that whole thing with your sister and everything. And now he looks at you again. He's got a little fire in his eyes. It's not going to take me years to get through fifth grade. And lo and behold, the ownership of the problem has settled into the heart of the one who should own that problem. But often we move to fear and out of love we try to control. And God says, the suffering servant comes, shares the truth, comes around the heart because the heart is what is so precious to God. Because the heart that accepts and receives this love that comes in relationship to Jesus Christ will be filled with His Holy Spirit. And will, as a result of the Spirit in him, grow up into Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would allow for us to recognize the fact that when you are concealed, you are just waiting to reveal. And put within us a desire that our hearts would long and seek and go after. And then God, give us clean hands that want to move into that place where as we do that, Lord Jesus... We would rather than try and control someone, we would just love, pray, share truth, and come around that heart. That they might walk in your presence and begin to allow the love of your heart to control them. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.